Welcome to the Yana podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, hear stories of strength, and get all in our feelings so we can remind you that you are not alone. Our hosts are me, Carly, and Becca. Both of us are super passionate about mental health, advocacy, education, and shattering that stigma. We love creating opportunities for young people to share their stories and experiences about navigating mental health and life in general. The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language. Listener discretion advised. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Yana podcast. Yeah, it's been so long. I know, it's been a minute. We had to take a little hiatus. Hiatus, a little break. Like a little self-care breaky. Yeah. So welcome back. um, First, before we get into everything else, we will give you that little breakdown on why we do this thing. So Carly and I both work for NAMI. Yes, we do, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, NAMI is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization. And Becca and I are lucky, lucky ducks because we get to work with the NAMI Philadelphia affiliate. Yeah. And so NAMI does a bunch of different things. They, you know, offer support. We are involved with advocacy and, and a big part of what we do is education. And so we offer a educational program called Ending the Silence, which is for teen mental health awareness. And, you know, in that program, we do a lot of different things. We talk about warning signs, suicide prevention, how to help a friend, but it's always paired. The best part is that it's always paired with a young person who shares the person their personal journey um, with mental health. So um, because of COVID, um, Things changed a lot, (laughs) you know, really just for us. (laughs) (laughs) It changed the world world a little bit. Yeah. So um, we decided to come up with different ways in which to still interact and give young people a platform to have conversations surrounding mental health. So share stories, subjects, you know, all that stuff. So... (laughs) (laughs) it's like always like I know it's gonna happen I just never know when it's gonna happen (laughs) henceforth we declared the the launch of a mental health podcast oh lord bless us yana podcast and yana stands for you are not alone you are not alone I know oh Today we have a very special guest. Man, exciting! We are doing things a little bit differently. We did this a couple episodes ago, but today we are going to be having Carly share her story and her personal journey with mental health. Wild. 
very wild ride. Like, and like we said, when I share my story, it's like we figured we need to also share our stories to, you know, so that you all know that we are connected with mental health and, you know, and why we're invested in raising awareness. So um, before we dive into who Carly is and hear her journey, we're going to do that little mental healthy thing that we do in the beginning, our cute little thing. Our cute little thing thing. (laughs) And we're going to do a check-in. So, and we have a question. So, I'll go first, I guess, because we're doing things yeah, differently, right? Yeah, we're just like, yeah, I mean, we're rolling with the flow, man. Yeah, because usually the guest goes last, right? So, okay. All right, I'm kind of, all right, the questions that I have, I think it's like the, I have, maybe we'll do it, mm, no, I think I'm going to start one. I think it's you a are funny, yo. <laughs> okay, all right. Let so, me all right. So the question is, mm-hmm. which of Snow White's seven dwarfs describes you best? Oh my gosh, I love it. And now I'm like, are, wait, what are their names? Yeah. Yeah. Bashful, Doc, Dopey, Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, or Sneezy. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So I'll check in. Um, I'm, I'm okay. I, I, I'm, I've been, it's been a roller coaster. Part of the reason we took a hiatus was, um, I had a big loss in my life. Um, we, I, we had to put down our dog, um, who was, I just burped a little bit, but (laughs) this is life, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, so yeah, our, our little baby, my, my, love of my life my best friend Claudius and it was really heartbreaking so mm-hmm. I just I need to take a step back Carly will you know tell you about what's going on with her um so we just had to take a little step back for a minute um but I'm coming out of it and I am you know been busy with work and yeah. other stuff so I'm, I'm doing okay I'm um, doing okay today so, I know Let's see the seven dwarfs. I feel like um, they all kind of. I feel like I fit into all of that <laughs> points. You rep- they represent <laughs> you at any given point in your life, right? So I guess we should say like right now. Yeah, at this moment, in this current stage of life, or yeah. like on this current day. <laughs> on this current day, I guess. Okay. I mean, we could do whatever um, fits us the best, but. I'm like feeling, um, okay, I'm feeling a crossover. You of know- course you are. You're never just one thing. You're never for one. Any- <laughs> Listeners, pause for a second. If anyone is new to listening to this podcast, you will learn, hopefully, throughout your continuing listening, that Becca never can just like stay with one answer during this segment. Yeah, She has true. to pick like two to five different responses. <laughs> okay what are your two what are your what what is your crossover okay so it's actually three this oh bless you maybe I should just say seven it's a crossover between seven what are your what Um, what is your crossover but um I think that well because I am kind of sleepy um I actually took a nap this morning and it's only well it's 12 but I took a nap um so I'm a little sleepy I feel a little dopey (laughs) 
<laughs> but that's also kind of standard. <laughs> and then, but I'm also feeling kind of happy right now. I'm happy to be sitting here with Carly and know, me too. You know, seeing your face. So that makes me happy. Yes. Oh, that, those are my crossovers. <laughs> Love that for you. All right. So how are you doing? And <sighs> dwarfs. How am I doing? And my dwarfs, my dwarf characteristics. I, I mean, legitimately I'm con- like constantly tired. So I'm tired. Um, and I've just been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot and I'm feeling like we needed, that's why another reason why we took a little hiatus was because we were just like over, I was over committing. I was saying yes yeah. to everything. I was doing a hundred things at one time and we just needed to kind of like take care of ourselves for a little bit. And I'm still kind of feeling that right now. Like I'm feeling like I'm saying yes to everything still. And I'm just like finding my body being like, Carly, like, stop, like take a pause. Right. But I struggle. Um, if those of you guys aren't, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, you know how I feel about the Enneagram. Oh yeah. Yeah. I am an Enneagram two, meaning mm-hmm. I'm a give, I'm a giver. Yeah, so will you talk, explain that? I'll explain that a little bit. And I highly suggest you guys going, you can take a bunch of different tests online, but the Enneagram is Enya meaning nine and gram meaning like some type of graph situation. So it's a personality theory essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are nine different types of personality um, numbers, one through nine. And they all mean various things. I'm not gonna go into the whole spiel, but two, I'm an Enneagram two, um, which means I am a giver, I am a listener, I am um, acts of service, like things like that, like that's what I, I do. Um, and that's also like, I am sensitive, I'm very empathic and I feel a lot for others. And um, like, what do they say? Like a hostess often, like mm-hmm. just very like accommodating. Um, but I also like struggle with like perfection and like, wanting to make sure everyone is good and taken care of and everything has a place. So like that is um, both good and bad. Um, but do you remember, am I also, I feel like I was also a two. Am I also a two? I think, I think that you were a four. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. So a four, I feel like has a little bit more of like a heightened sensitivity to various things. Um, mm-hmm. You're very, in, very emotionally connected to like yourself and to others. I mean, I'm not an Enneagram expert, so <laughs> right. take the test. You can literally Google Enneagram test and yeah. you can find out which number you are. But anyway, yeah. I'm tired, but I'm also mm-hmm. really grateful um, because of all of the things that I get to say yes to, you know? Yeah. So it's like a weird place <laughs> that yeah. I'm in. Well, Um, that's a good, that's a good way um, to look at it, you know, because it can feel so overwhelming and to know, but to feel grateful that you have things to be overwhelmed. Correct. Yeah. So it puts me in a weird, in a weird place, but um, in regards to the dwarf situation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, currently, I mean, it gives it away. I'm sleepy all the time, but I think the one that cracked me up honestly was sneezy (laughs) because I, and if you ask my wife this, she would also say sneezy. I have like horrendous allergies. 
like horrendous and I'm constantly sneezing mm. and I'm on like 19,000 different allergy medications yeah but yet I'm still forever sneezing and everyone calls me sneezy because I'm always like oh like sneezing and sniffing and it's like yeah. a whole situation so sneezy that just made me laugh when I heard it because I feel like I need to incorporate that one into mine too <laughs> oh get out of here with your four people your four dwarfs you're wild so yeah that's that's me sneezy see I feel like you could also be a doc yeah probably because I like you're that a like, boss babe I'm a boss boss babe that you was the if boss I had, babe if I had to cross over that would be my crossover. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. That's a little bit about me. So, okay, cool. So um, before, well, we're going to have Carly, you know, just jump in. But before that, I just want to give you a little intro to who Carly is and why I love her so much. <laughs> so Carly, first of all, is my boss. Oh. <laughs> She's the director of our NAMI Philadelphia affiliate. I'm not going to go into her full like professional bio. Like I'm, you know, she'll talk a little bit about um, that as well, but she is, I mean, mental health is her world and she, I'm going to just talk about what she is for me because that yeah, she's going to make me cry from the game. <laughs> and we talked about this a little, if you haven't heard the episode with um, my story, go check it out. Um, but we talked about this a little bit. Like I came to NAMI when I was fresh off the boat, so to speak, fresh out of rehab, fresh out of the mental health hospitals. And I was really nervous, scared, shaken, not sure who I was. And I walked into the NAMI Philadelphia office and Carly immediately embraced me and made me feel like at home. She helped me like really, like I had no idea where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And she basically helped shape that for me and get me there. So, um, and then the thing that I also want to say is that that's not just for me. She does that for everyone. <laughs> um, I remember the first day that I, um, like what came to the office to like do some, I, I think we talked about this, like my flyer that I sat there for hours doing, <laughs> but I was sitting across from her office and like, I just was listening to her answering the phone all day. And I was just like, I was so blown away and so inspired by her that like, you know, she was handling some really tough calls, you know, from welcome to the people. life. Yeah. And of a I NAMI just, executive director. Right. And like, I also like, I'd never really been on that side of things where I was hearing people like, I, I don't know, I've never been on that side of things. And so I just was like, wow, she cares so much um, just about any single person that needs help. She cares and wants to help. And will do what she can to help them. And it just was so inspirational. So anyway, <laughs> so I've heard, you know, a short version of her story. I heard tidbits because like she said about me, I, I she's one of my best friends too. So I've heard, you know, just through our friendship, I've heard 
um, tidbits of her story, but I haven't heard her sit and tell her whole story. So I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited for all of you to hear it. So, oh my gosh, Hester, take it away. Whoa, (laughs) get me all in my feelings, first of all. (laughs) Again, I mentioned my Enneagram self that I'm an emotional, sensitive sister. So thank you for that, for that, Becca. Yeah, well, that was really yeah. sweet of you. And that's something that um, really meant a lot. But I've mm-hmm. also never really done this before. Like I was telling you, I have shared my story before in like very specific settings mm-hmm. or in, with like within a very specific time frame. So this is very new to me. But yeah, I mean, I am Carly. I'll guess I'll introduce myself. There you go. Um, I am the affiliate director for our NAMI office in Philadelphia. Um, I'm a clinical social worker, and I have had many years of experience within the mental health field. Um, I've done a lot of work within the child welfare system. I've done a lot of work within the um, the queer communities, doing a lot of work with the LGBT plus community. Um, I worked with the city's Department of Behavioral Health and really learned a ton about community social work. Um, and macro level social work. And then I found NAMI, which has completely like moved me and has really changed my life. Um, I am married to an incredible woman named Bethany. And together we have currently, we have four children. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a, I'm a foster and adoptive mom. So we have adopted two kids through foster care. Um, and then we have two foster kids with us right now. So a total of four little bambinos at my house right now, but we fostered almost 15, I think 15 kids in our lifetime so far. Wow. I can't believe it's been 15. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a lot. And like, when you go through them, you're like, oh, right, right. There's a lot. And they've all impacted our life in various ways. Um, so I'm, it's it's like an actual zoo in my house. Most of the time, we also have a dog and two cats and it's crazy. (laughs) Um, but yeah, when I'm not mental healthing and doing NAMI stuff, I'm typically like drinking unhealthy amounts of coffee. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and like binge watching shark tank or the Kardashians or, (laughs) or something completely silly. Um, but yeah, that's essentially who I am as a professional slash personal self. Um, But my story, like, where does the one even begin? I don't know. Start at the beginning. I, that's, you know, where I, I mean, like I said, I know um, some of the big moments. So why don't you, like, I mean, cause some of your stuff started pretty young. Yeah. So yeah, really young. I feel like I'll start from what I can remember. Okay. Um, cause I, I had like a really unique childhood and a mm-hmm. lot of my, I feel like a lot of my trauma, if you will, and a lot of my introduction to mental health started very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a home with an alcoholic mother, um, and a mom who I, I remember most of my life, most of my memory with her. She, I don't remember the like alcoholic version of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do have glimpses of that. She did choose sobriety, um, later on in my childhood, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have a lot of re- memories of her being sober. Um, but I do also have memories of her not. So I remember 
growing up in kind of a house with my dad. He was, he had, he was a business owner. So he worked a ton and mm-hmm. he was, he was the breadwinner. And I had three older siblings whom, I mean, were, you know, all dealing with their own identities and growing up in the same household as me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and trying to navigate all of that. So I, re- I remember our house being kind of like chaotic, pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but also being lovely at the same time. Like, I don't remember having a lot of intense trauma, trauma as right. a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, what, what really, I think, shook my world was when I was 10 years old, my father died in a car accident. Um, and my parents were in the car together when my father, he had a stroke at the wheel, um, and it caused him to crash. And to this day, I honestly am not sure what his cause of death was, whether they deemed the stroke as a cause of death or the accident as the cause of death. If I remember correctly, they did say that if he was not driving, that the stroke would have completely taken his life, essentially. Okay. Okay. Like he may have been on like life support. So well, it was a pretty- would that maybe give you a little bit of comfort that like he might not have suffered? Okay. Yeah. And I think that either way and knowing my dad, like knowing who he was, like, I know that this is a really weird perspective and probably not like everyone's way of thinking, but my dad probably would have preferred to like be at peace, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Well, like, I don't think that he was the type, he was very similar to me. He was like a doc. (laughs) He was, (laughs) you know, he, he was a nonstop go, go, go kind of person. So I don't think that he would have preferred to be on life support. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, mm-hmm. but in that moment, my mom was in the car with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got really injured. Um, oh, gosh. Really injured and like broke her legs and lots of bones. And it was really tragic for, for her. But I was 10 years old. Um, and I remember like that, that night, like pretty vividly. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't remember a ton of my childhood, right. but I remember that night very vividly and not really having an understanding of what happened not really knowing or comprehending like why or what just took place. Yeah. Um, And I remember like them giving us the news that my dad passed away and it like didn't really make sense to me. Like Mm -hmm. I just didn't really understand what that, what that meant. Like I knew what death was. I knew what that meant, but I didn't comprehend it fully. Right. Um, and my mom was really injured, but she luckily survived the accident and was able to, um, you know, go about her life eventually. I mean, she, she got super injured. Yeah. So she had to like learn how to walk again. She was in a wheelchair and all kinds of stuff. But uh. during that, during that time, um, my, my siblings were older. Yeah. I was going to ask you how much older are they than you? Um, so my oldest sister is 12 years older than me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My, she wasn't at home. Was she? No. Right. Okay. Everyone kind of had their own. I mean, everyone kind of was in their own stage of life. Right. Okay. Like and then my middle sister is eight years older than me. Mm-hmm. And then my brother is six years older than me. Oh, wow. I don't think mm-hmm. I realized that they were that much older than you. Yeah. So I was kind of like, yeah 
the baby. I was the baby, like yeah. legitimately by like <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> yeah. And they obviously like when when that happened, we all came together as a family and tried to figure out like what was going to happen, right? But I feel like I was the person, the baby. Like, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? Where's what? Are, how are we going to help Carly? And I. I think they they made the decision that it would be best for me to kind of live with an older family member so that I could um, go like go to school and be cared for in a different way and that everyone could kind of have their own, you know, world. Like I can't imagine my sister like taking me under her wing at 20, like y- a young 20 year old. Yeah. Uh, and she had her own daughter at the time. She was a, a young mom and had her own oh. kid. So it was a lot of different dynamics that came into play. So mm-hmm. I ended up going to live with my aunt in the middle of fourth grade. They pulled me out of school in the middle of fourth grade. My, my father passed away in March. So yeah, right. No. literally the middle of fourth grade. <laughs> yeah. And I went and I lived with my aunt and uncle and my cousins who I love. And I love to this day, they're an aunt and uncle that I keep in touch with and cousins that I keep in touch with. And I went there and I, um, I, w- I was there all through fourth grade until my mom got well enough to come home from the hospital. Like okay. I mentioned, she was very injured. Um, right. I had to spend a lot of time rehabilitating herself and getting back. And we had to essentially like revamp our house, like put ramps in our house oh, so she yeah. could get around. And my sister was taking her to and from appointments and it was a lot. So mm-hmm. it was best that I was with my aunt, honestly. It was a really, it was a good decision. And I went there and it was great. Loved it, had a great time. <laughs> and then I eventually <laughs> came back home in um, fifth grade to live with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I lived there and my brother lived there. And my sisters were in and out. I think, I honestly don't remember where they lived at that time, but I was there with my mom and we had a great year together. We were super involved in our church and we did a lot of things together. Um, It was, it was fun. And I remember like, she was like, became like my best friend during that time. Mm. Cause it was really just me and her. Right. It was me and her for a really long time. Um, and we were like best of friends, like Gilmore girl style. Oh, yeah. Um, and I grew like such like a fondness for her that I didn't really have before. And she really became like my best, best friend. Um, and then later, I think it was like my sixth grade year. Um, she got diagnosed with cancer. Um, she got diagnosed with lung cancer. She was a smoker, unfortunately. Um, and she got diagnosed with cancer and she got diagnosed with cancer pretty late in the game. Okay. And it, um, she went through the whole process, like went through chemo, lost her hair, um, was sick. And I mean, going through, you know, going to treatment and doing all the cancer stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I remember her just kind of like becoming weak and weak and weak. Like she literally like was in a car accident, like just had to learn how to walk again. Like all right. of a sudden then she got freaking cancer and now she's going through chemo and radiation. Um, and so that was like my sixth, my sixth grade year. Okay. Um, and it was I don't really remember a ton of it. Like it was pretty normal from what I remember. I mean, I know besides my mom having her cancer <laughs> Yeah. besides doing, that besides <laughs> right. that and doing all of that stuff um but then 
it was, you know, just a pretty normal year for me. And through that, like I was involved in activities and dance and church and I had a pretty normal sixth grade year. Okay. And I went to camp, summer camp. Mm-hmm. And during that summer, my mom started to get pretty bad. Like her cancer okay. was pretty, pretty severe. Um, and I wasn't, again, like I was freaking 11 or 12. Right. So I, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. And I think my sisters and my brother were protecting me uh-huh. and like not giving me all of the information because it was a lot and it wasn't good. Yeah. We're like, I mean, I imagine your mom wasn't super able to like do things like make dinner or mm-hmm. just um, yeah, was there somebody I, else. Yes. Like my sisters, like, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, like I said, I truly like do not remember like day to day stuff that okay. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, then that summer, my, my, I was saying like my mom's cancer got pretty bad. And then okay. um, I'm at camp, like summer camp with a bunch, like with all my friends, like live in the dream. I'm 12 right. years old. I have no worries in the world. My mom is sick, but I don't know how sick, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my aunt comes to my camp mm. and I'm like, what is she doing here? Yeah. And she's like, um, we're going to go visit your mom. Cause she was in the hospital at the time. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay. And I was like, this is strange. Like, why is my aunt here? Right. Right. And I, and like literally two or three days prior to this meetup, my sister had just given birth to her son, her first okay. baby. Okay. So it was like a wild thing. And I didn't really know. She's like, oh, we're going to the hospital. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I thought we were just going to either see my mom or to see my nephew. Okay. And when we get there, my sisters are there or my sister, my other sister is still in the hospital, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I kind of knew in my heart that like something happened, Mm. like something was not good. And they had told me that that day, like they decided to take my mom, my mom was on life support to take my mom off life support. And again, I have no idea what that meant. Right. Right. I was like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. And they explained to me that like mommy passed away. And so I was like, oh God, like again, Yeah. like this is happening to me again. And like, that's Ugh. all that I can remember processing. Like, why, why is this happening to me again? Yeah. And I didn't understand. I think I remember like my first reaction being anger and just like, what did I do? Like, what did I do to deserve my parents being taken from me? Yeah. Both of them. And I was scared. And I was lonely and I was overwhelmed and I didn't know what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But we all rallied together and my siblings all rallied together and we, you know, we had to come up with a plan. And again, I was super young, so I don't remember every little detail. Right, right. But I'm sure that there were conversations and I'm sure that there were decisions made. And I, I do remember that in my mom's will, okay. my aunt and uncle were the folks who were supposed to take care of me long-term if okay. in fact she was to die. Okay. Um, so what I remember is packing up all my stuff and moving to another aunt and uncle's house. 
Not okay. the same aunt and uncle that I lived with before. Okay. Not the ones that like super close with. Yeah. Not the ones that I love so much and talk to all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but right. this is okay. another, this is another, um, another aunt and uncle. And I had loved them very much. Um, like I, I had a really good relationship with them growing up and I thought that they were wonderful. They had a lot of money, so they had a huge house and I was mm. like, this is going to be great. This is going to be yeah. so much fun. So I felt really okay about it. I mean, obviously I was sad because my mom had just passed away, but right after that summer, my plan was to move in with my other aunt and uncle and to start a new school again. Ugh. Um, and mm-hmm. they went, I went to this like fancy private school and I got oh, to wow. wear a uniform and <laughs> I was like oh I'm so cool like it was it was an exciting and they had two girls so I was like, I'm gonna have two little sisters and mm. it was just like I had a lot of things to look forward to yeah so I was I was feeling really safe and I was feeling very protected and um I felt okay right so when I got there things were fine and things were great and I was navigating my new school and making new friends but still have not yet to process this grief like no one put me into therapy right right I was gonna ask like so you're like going through the motions basically alone yeah I'm going through the motions as a literal child right (laughs) trying to figure out what grief is what um is happening like I do remember I saw the guidance counselor maybe like twice when I was in elementary school so so that they could help me grieve, whatever Mm -hmm. that meant. And I like wrote a story about my mom and dad. Like it was dumb. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was fine and it was helpful and I'm sure it it helped me in that moment. But looking back, like I had no clinical support around this. Wow. Wow. I was just like willy nilly navigating the like, traumatic loss of both of my parents within the last within the two-year time span yeah changing schools moving coming here going here so I I, I'm here now right so I'm at my aunt and uncle's house and things are going really well and then eventually like things stop going well yeah um and eventually like um my my uncle was not the person that I thought he was and he was not, he didn't treat me the same way that he treated his kids. I almost felt like I was like Cinderella. Like I, um, I had to do a lot of stuff around the house that the other kids didn't have to do. I had to, I, I was, uh, like, when I would call my family or call my sisters or something, they would like stick a timer in front of my face and tell me that I only had a certain amount of time to talk. Whoa, like you were in prison or something. Yeah, I, um, I wasn't, a, I was a dancer. Dance was like my heart and it was everything I loved and wanted to do. And I was told I, I wasn't allowed to dance and they pulled me out of dance and they put me into soccer and archery. <laughs> Like, are you, do you know me? Number yeah, one. Yeah, I cannot see you being, playing so, soccer. <laughs> right, they like, they didn't like say like, oh no, you can't dance. But they like, wouldn't sign me up for a dancing class. And they would put me in these other activities and then made it, made me feel like I was too busy to, to dance. Right. So it was like kind of like gaslighty. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And like took away 
something that like brought me joy and healing and made me do these dumb things that I didn't want to do. Yeah. Um, they would, um, I was the only one in the house that I didn't have a lock on my door. Okay. So like, if I wanted to have any type of privacy, like they removed, like they removed the door, like the lock on the door, like just for my, like just for my room. That's weird. Um, they would rummage through my things often. Um, it was just like a very, I felt very violated. Yeah. Um, there There were days where I would sit down with my uncle and he would, he would like tell me all the things that I did wrong in that week. And he would like say all the things that he was disappointed in me that I did. And that my mom and dad would be disappointed in me. Like (sighs) I remember, I remember that being thrown around a lot. So it was a lot of like emotional trauma, like a lot of emotional and verbal like abuse. Right. And then like things started to get weird. Like, like they started to get like, I don't even know really how to explain it. Like, I felt like he was watching me like get dressed. I felt like he was watching me, um, like in the shower, like not like through a camera or anything, but like he would just like casually like open the door, like things like that. He would always walk around like not fully clothed. And like, that just made me feel really uncomfortable. Okay. And I mean, I, it wasn't like indirectly towards me. Yeah. But it just, it made me feel really uncomfortable. Well, you're like um, basically like a teen at this point, like a, yeah. like a preteen almost that's really inappropriate, you know, mm-hmm. at this stage. It's not like you're a little kid. That's not really, no. yeah. And I just didn't feel safe there anyways, because of all of the, like the verbal stuff mm-hmm. that was happening. And the, like, I did, I literally felt like I was in a prison. Yeah. And like they gin for you real fast. Yeah. So I know with the loss that I've experienced, there's been, um, you know, I've had this sense of abandonment in a way. And so I can't imagine with the loss of some of people like your parents, was that something that you experienced? Because I feel like that with then this being told yeah. I, first of all, I cannot believe they said your parents wouldn't be happy. Oh yeah. That was like a constant, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question. And I think that's what kind of shapes, like shapes me today. Like yeah. I am such a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am like, I am such a person that will just, and like, I'm so much better now that I've gone through like years of therapy and like right. self growth and love and all that stuff. But I, I took it. I took every single bit of that nasty man's words. And I took it to heart because I was terrified that if I didn't follow his rules or whatever, yeah. where was I going to go? Right. Who was going to love me? Who was going to take care of me? Cause everyone, mm-hmm. like my parents are dead. So who's going to, and my sisters and my brother, like they were amazing and incredible, but they were kids in their own sense. Like they were navigating life with children, with, with their husbands, with life. Like Mm -hmm. I, my mother thought she made the right choice. Right. And so like, I was like, okay, like this is where I'm, this is it. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So during this time, I felt completely out of control. 
completely out of control. Right. Because I felt like everything was being taken from me and I couldn't control anything. Yeah. So this is kind of where um, my relationship with food came in to play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I am in recovery right now from disordered eating. Yeah. And but this year around like 12 years old, 13 years old was where it like entered into my life. And for me, it was never, ever about food per se. Right. Um, yes. Like to me, food comforted me. It still does to this day. Like, yeah, it's something that makes me feel good when I'm sad, when I'm happy, I celebrate with food when I'm sad, mm-hmm. I like eat a pint of ice cream. Okay. Right. Right. So <laughs> it was, it was something that I knew, but then the control piece for me was that I, and I did control my caloric intake pretty heavily when okay. I was that little and I would purge, um, pretty regularly as well. And for me, like that was my thing, right? That was my thing. And my theory was no one can take this from me. Right. Like I am doing this for myself and it made me feel better. Mm -hmm. It was a secret that I had that no one could take from me. Right. And like, that was my mentality behind it. And it was a very unhealthy coping skill <laughs> that yeah. I, part, I, I partook in. Yeah. And it became quickly addicting. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was something that I just kind of like dappled in for like a hot minute. Mm-hmm. And then before you knew it, it became like a full situation. Mm-hmm. And still to like, still during this time, like I never saw a counselor. I never had anyone, um, really noticing these like behaviors, um, or anything like this. So it was something that I was like, sweet, like no one's going to find out because (laughs) I have no one who gives a shit. Excuse me, excuse my language. I have no one who cares in this way about, my, about me. Like, that's how I, that's how I felt. Right. Um, and then during this time, my, I got super depressed. Okay. So wait, I just want to slow you down for a second. So you're, you know, you have this secret that you feel like is, you feel proud of almost. And like, you feel like it is a part, it becomes a part of who you are. So what did that look like? Like, what could, people have seen on the outside? Sure. Um, I think that what people probably saw on the outside was, I mean, I, I had almost like a disgust around food or eating. I was very secretive when eating, like I wouldn't eat in a large group of people at school. Mm -hmm. I would not eat lunch. I would throw out my lunch. I would have reasons why I wasn't hungry. Um, I would say things like, Oh, I'm not feeling well today. Um, I would immediately excuse myself if I did eat, um, because I wanted to purge, I would purge in the school bathroom. Okay. Like it was like stuff like that at school at home. Um, And nobody at school, like ever, nobody said anything ever. No, because I I would eat at school, um, but I would eat very minimally or I would eat like just enough to try. Like it was a constant like psych 
like psyche thing that I was trying to maneuver. I was like in control of this little like circus that was going on in my head. Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, and at home I was, it was very similar behaviors, but it wasn't something that like my body didn't physically change drastically then. Um, I mean, it changed, like I lost weight and stuff, but it was always like, oh, she's just depressed. Right. Like she's not eating. Oh, just depressed. That's not concerning. Right. She's just depressed or, oh, she's, you know, she's just growing. Like her body's looking different. Like, you know, she's growing into herself, like all kinds of stuff. I also got praised a lot for it. Like, oh my gosh, Carly, like you look so cute. You look so great. So it was, it was not something that I feel like was looked at in a, in a negative light. Right. Um, but like I said, like during this time, like I got super, super depressed. I still had not grieved the loss of my parents. I still Mm -hmm. am dealing with like this weird disordered eating situation. I'm feeling completely like afraid of where I'm living. I have zero, like I have zero clue as to what is happening in my head. Right. And I become super depressed, like isolating, like not wanting to do anything. Mind you, like I have nothing that keeps me happy. I'm not dancing. I'm not involved in anything that makes me happy. I don't have a lot of friends because I was embarrassed of my uncle and I didn't really want a lot of people like to know who he was. Right. And I was just not feeling great. And I, I felt like I couldn't see my family as much as I wanted to. Um, so I started to write a lot. Like I started yeah. to journal okay. because I felt like that was the only like way for me to get stuff out. Mm-hmm. And I journaled a lot of really mean things. <laughs> like I journaled a lot of like, I hate everyone. Like my life sucks. Like I hate my uncle. I hate this freaking house. Like all of the things, right? Mm-hmm. I would just like load it onto this yeah. piece of paper. And then randomly one day, the universe, whoever she is, yeah, said to me, like, reach, reach out for help, Carly. And I was like, reach out for help. Like, what the heck does this mean? Yeah. So I thought to myself, who can help me right now? Yeah. Like in my 13, 14 year old brain, I'm (laughs) like, or however old I was, how old are you in eighth grade? Yeah. I think around 13. Right. So I'm like, who can help me right now? And my, another aunt and uncle popped up into my head Mm -hmm. and they were on my other side of the family. Okay. So, and they were like super involved in their church. They were very religious. And I was like, they're going to help me. Okay. Because in my mind, like, that's how I equated like Christian people are good. Good right? people. Like, they're right. Good people. And actually I wanted to ask you about that too. Like, I know you talked about church with your mom, yeah. like was church a huge part of me, a part of your life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even with this. No, I, I, we didn't go to church okay. in the way that I was used to going to church. Like okay. it was not the same. And that was a source of strength for you. And you weren't having that either. Okay. Taken from me. Okay. So I like randomly reach out to my aunt and uncle and I truly do not remember how I did it. Like, I'm pretty sure certain I wrote them a letter or something. Okay. I have, I do not remember how this initially started because okay. we didn't have like Instagram or Facebook back then. <laughs> right. So no. I'm like, did I email them? I don't remember. Right. But somehow I told them like SOS, 
like, help me. I am in a terrible house. I hate these people and I am going to run away. Like somebody come and get me. Mm -hmm. So legit, legit. This aunt and uncle saved my life. Like they, I, and again, I don't know what the cahoots were, like who said what, or what, what the conversation was or what happened. But what I do remember is when I graduated from that freaking hoity-toity public school or private school in eighth grade, I went home with this other aunt and uncle. Oh, wow. Like I, I never looked back. Like they came to my grad, my little eighth grade graduation and I went home with them. Were these the same aunt and uncle that you like stayed with when your mom was recovering? No, a different aunt and uncle. I've been with so many different families in my life. (laughs) Yeah. So I moved in with them. They somehow organized all my stuff to get sent to them. I literally like, I jumped in their car. Like I got into their car with whatever bag I had, like my backpack Mm -hmm. and like moved into their house. Wow. And was there, um, they put me right into counseling. Awesome. Um, it was through the church, through their church. Okay. So yes, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't um, looking back on like the sessions and stuff. Now it wasn't really helpful. Okay. Um, it was just, it was fine. It was like I said, better than nothing. They tried their best and they, I was super involved in their church. I mm-hmm. loved their house. They were the kindest people. They, I mean, I loved their kids. It was a very healthy environment for me to Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, and was it not like psychotherapy? It was like more- Yeah, it was like counseling, like just like chatting. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was not psychotherapy at all. Okay. Um, and I lived there and they, they made me a room there. Like I got to paint my room and mm. I felt like I was part of a family. Wow, um, they, em- they embraced my siblings. We, they had them over all the time. They put me, I was dancing like five days a week. Like I was, Oh yay. they made sure that I had everything that I needed and wanted. And they were like the, they literally saved my life. Um, uh-huh. and I cry thinking about them because uh-huh. I love them a lot. Um, but I mean, later on in my story, it unfortunately unfolds differently, but okay they were wonderful and they were who I needed at that time in my life. I was entering freaking high school, dude. Yeah. I was entering high school and I was, I needed some strong people in my corner. So they were the people and they literally turned my world upside down in a good way. Like I was Mm -hmm. very, I was doing very well. Um, I was still really struggling with disordered eating. Yeah. Um, it was still something that, and again, I keep, I always tell people this, like it was never about weight. It was never about food for me. It was my thing. Right. It was my thing that I had control over. And like I said before, nobody could take that from me. Mm-hmm. Nobody. So no matter like how happy I was or how safe I thought I was, that was still my thing. Mm-hmm. So I still actively struggled with that a lot through high school. Okay. Um, and I went to various treatments for that and did various types of work on it. <laughs> right. Um, but it was still pretty prevalent in my high school years. And luckily one, one time, um, my, it was pretty bad. Like I was really restricting and you could tell my body was not healthy looking and okay. I was not, um, I was not doing well. 
yeah um, not doing well and I was really involved in these things um trigger warning um okay. talking about um pro anorexia and pro bulimia websites oh um oh, those exist oh, I, I they, they I mean, existed and I I don't know I haven't obviously looked into them in years but there was these like dark holes of these pro literally like pro-anorexia, pro-bulimia forums, like community forums of women encouraging other women to restrict and to binge and to hide and to be secret and to all these things. It was a competition. People would post photos. People would post comments like, girl, you look great. Like all kinds of stuff. And it fueled my fire. Oh my it gosh. like, it made me, because I'm very competitive and I like to do <laughs> Okay. And I like to have, I like validation mm -hmm. and I like, um, like you're doing great Carly. Right. Like right. I like those things. So this was my thing, man. I was like, yes, yes. I'm going to be the best. Okay. I'm mm -hmm. going to be the best. I'm going to learn all the secrets. Like I was really invested in this. Yeah. And me being an idiot would mm -hmm. do this at school. So I would, I was the editor of my school yearbook. So I had access to computers. <laughs> yeah. I had um, access to a lot of computers and we were, we had like our yearbook room and it was awesome. I was always on the computer. So mm -hmm. one, one day mm -hmm. I freaking did an X out of it. Oh yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. so I did an X out of it and my one girlfriend saw it mm -hmm. and was like, Oh, hell to the no. Yes. Oh, hell to the no. Because they knew that I was struggling. Like they knew and they would approach me about it all the time. Okay. And and I wasn't open about it. And they were like, Carly, like, come on. Like, come on. Yeah. They and so they could see it at this they point. Could like, they could, they could definitely all right. They could see it. And they like my behaviors were becoming less and less secretive because mm -hmm. I was becoming more and more obsessed with it. That like right. I just didn't give a crap. Right. So it was um one day, like they literally like came to my house, knocked on my door and told my aunt and uncle everything. Wow. And I was like, cool. <laughs> like my I secrets, mean, secrets yeah. out of the bag. No, but looking back, I'm like, thank God. Thank yeah, God. absolutely. Thank God. Like that's thank God. good, good friends. Cause good friends. people just don't want to deal with it. They want right. it. scary. Yeah, it was scary. Um, and my aunt and uncle didn't really know what to do with it. I mean, they didn't really know how to process it. So they put me back in that cute little Christian counseling counselor's office. <laughs> okay. And again, oh, no. it was also helpful. not trained in psychotherapy and psych psychology. Right. Yeah. So it was fine and it was helpful for what it was. Um, I eventually like did a lot of work within myself um, and realized okay. that like, okay, like, you know, I'm okay. Like, I don't need to do this. I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay. And I like work through a whole lot of things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So during this working through a lot of things came up a lot of working through some other things that I was trying to figure the F out what was happening. Mm -hmm. So I'm going now I'm like a senior in high school. I'm, I have a boyfriend. I've had the same boyfriend for like 5,000 years um, mm -hmm. that I met at a Christian camp. Mm -hmm. that I thought was dreamy and you know in the, in the world of Christianity that I grew up in it was like you save yourself for marriage you don't date like for funsies 
Okay. You date to procreate. Wow. Right? Like you, you date to get married. <laughs> yeah. Of course. God, this forbid. sounds like the stone ages, like to right. me, you, know? you date to get married. And mm-hmm. if he's a Christian and like a half decent guy, like, what are you waiting for? Right. Kind of thing. Like that was what I thought was appropriate. And again, all my abandonment BS. Right. Told me that I've got to hang on to this guy. Right. Because he's going to make me feel better. Right. And I've got to say yes, yes, yes to all of these Christian things because that's what's the right thing to do. And if I don't follow the rules, then someone's going to leave me. Mm-hmm. So like um, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And you're also like, you've been bounced around so much. I'm sure like part of you felt like, like you didn't belong anywhere. And right. of this exactly. world was accepting you and you were a yes. part of something. hundred percent. So you, you know had what? to follow all the rules. And for what it was worth, it protected me and it mm-hmm. kept me really comfortable for a while. Okay. Um, and I eventually got a hold of my like relationship with food and I went off to college. I went to a Christian college. Yeah. <laughs> um, because again, I thought that, I mean, I, I looked at state schools, but in my heart and in my head, I was like, I want to go to a Christian college because that's where I belong. Right. Um, and my aunt and uncle are still incredible. Like mm-hmm. we love them. They helped me all through high school, college, love them to death all through everything. But while I was in college, I still struggled. I had a couple little minor relapse moments of my disordered eating stuff. Freshman year was rough because when I got there, I realized like, oh, whoa, like I don't have parents. Like my mom and dad are dead. Like everyone else around me, like had moms and dads. And I really realized there, like I have not grieved properly. Yeah. I have not done this work before. Like in college, like I felt alone. Like I felt super independent, but Mm -hmm. then I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't like, I was just feeling a lot of feels. Yeah. Like I'm imagining that move in day when like, oh, yeah. everybody's parents are like, oh yeah. And buying yeah. all the shower yeah. patties and yeah. you know, all the and, like, things. My aunt and uncle did those things. Okay. Okay. But, but it was still. still, it was still so different and something triggered in my head. And I was like, okay, I need to like tackle this. I need to tackle it. So I went to the counselor at my college. Okay. And I started seeing them um, pretty regularly in, in college. And it was, it was super helpful, actually. Um, I don't know what their training was, um, but mm-hmm. they, I remember them being super open and helpful and just really encouraged me to like talk a lot more than before. Awesome. I made, yeah. I made great friends. I was super involved, but I was really involved with a lot of things that I never saw myself being involved in before. Mm-hmm. I was really attracted to like, um, the, the school that I went to is very, it's much more on the progressive side of Christianity. Um, okay, and good. they had, yeah, <laughs> they had like, they had like a students advocating for gender equality group. They had a, a LGBT, uh, like a GSA, a gay mm-hmm. straight alliance. They had like, um, a feminist thing. And I was involved in all these things. Yes. I was like, where's this coming from? Mm-hmm. I was like, this is not like something that I would have done before college. 
Um, but then I find myself like asking all these questions and being super interested about like the LGBT community and all of this stuff. And I'm like, where is that? Why am I so fascinated by this? This makes no sense to me. Like I'm super passionate about advocacy and equal rights. And like it ignited like this fire in my soul that I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. And then I started really questioning like where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then I started having, like, I had a friend in college who was my best, best friend and she's amazing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I have like such this like deep connection with this person. And I brushed it off to just think like, oh, we're just friends. Mm-hmm. And then college came and went still dating this boy. Cause I thought we were going to get married and have all of these kids and yeah. be a perfect little Christian family. Right. And, um, why, you know, whatever. Then I start working. I'm super still interested in all this LGBT stuff, going to pride, going to the marches, going to all these things. And I am still struggling with feelings for a friend that is a girl. And I'm like, what is happening here? So you were identifying those feelings at that point as more than friendship. I thought I was like, why do I okay. literally love this person? Like, yeah, it was not like she's my best friend. And I think she's so cool. I was like, so connected to her. Okay. I had no idea what it was, mm-hmm. but I was like, okay, this is so different than any other friend that I've had. Right. So then I meet this girl at a job that I'm working at as a social okay. worker. And she is like beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, like this is bad. And I really am like, oh my gosh, like I think I have feelings for, her. like I think I have feelings for her, like feelings mm-hmm. for her. Mind you, I'm still in a relationship with this boy. Right. Because I thought that that's what I had to do. And I was afraid to leave him because then I was afraid that my abandonment issues would kick in. Right. And that no one would love me because I'm right. broken. Mm. So I, Things, you know, one thing led to another thing Mm -hmm. and I ended up breaking up with this boy. Okay. I ended up breaking up with this boy at Friendly's over a plate of French fries. (laughs) And I said to him, right. I said to him, like, I think that I'm gay. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it just like, I don't think this is going to work. Oh, no. Like I, I knew that I had feelings for this person that was a girl. And I was like, I think that I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, I'll be honest. I kissed this girl. Okay, (laughs) all right, so let's let's, let's get back there. So I kissed this girl. So you do, you do knew. Yes, and I kissed this girl and literal fireworks and like a freaking like Disney World parade went off in my head (laughs) and I was like, this is it. Yeah. And it freaking scared me. It scared me to death. Not only did I grow up in the conservative Christian church, I was never really taught that homosexuality was a good or okay or allowed or even an option. Mm -hmm. Um, I also was like, I'm never like, I'm going to screw up my life because now I'm never going to get married and have this perfect family that I Mm -hmm. thought I was going to want. So I was terrified to be gay. Right. And so was the, the first, did you, was the first time you actually said those words to this boy? Yes. That was the first time you ever said like, I'm gay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And his initial response to that question or to that statement was, it's okay. 
we can work on it. <gasps> and I said, I'm sorry. He said, well, we can work on it. Like, we can, I, like let's go to, let, maybe we can go to counseling or something. And right then and there in my gut, in my heart, I said, no, sir. Like this is, I am not something, I don't need to work on this part of me. Mm. Yes, I have a lot of things that I need to work on within my life and within myself, but this was not one of them. Okay. So that's like also something that I thought about, like, because I know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that homosexuality was even viewed as deviant sexual behavior. Of course. Like in the DSM as the thing. So um, yeah. yeah. I, and I have all thoughts about a lot, how the, a lot of the Christian community do this. So so. literally that was the last time I saw him. Mm -hmm. And from there I've exclusively dated women since. And I, I came out to my family and my sisters were so supportive and my brother was so supportive. Oh, good. They They were essentially like waiting for the day. They kept, it was always like this running joke in my family. Like, oh my God, Carly, you're so gay. When are you going to come out? And I was like, oh my gosh, no, I'm not. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So, cause I was also going to ask like, so in college, you noticed that you're starting to have these feelings. Did you, Mm -hmm. was that the first time like you even questioned? Yeah. Like you didn't, and when you were growing up, like there was never. I mean, looking back on like in hindsight, sure. Like there were moments where I was like, okay, like, you know, like I watched the Britney Spears, I'm a slave for you video more than I should have. Not Mm -hmm. just because I liked the dancing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And like, I wanted to also say like, cause I did just say like about the deviant sexual behavior, but like, I'm sure like part of you, you were trying to, you knew something was like wrong with you right with like the disordered eating and the depression and the trauma and all of that and like I'm sure that coupled with like what you had learned or not necessarily learned directly but like did you see that as like being something wrong with you yeah 100 percent. I literally was so afraid to even consider the fact that I might be gay yeah because I didn't know what was going to happen and I was terrified about the reaction of my aunt and uncle who mm-hmm. saved my life. Right. Like I knew that if I came out to them, they probably weren't going to be waving a rainbow flag in their yard. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't going to be the ones that mm-hmm. were going to march with me at pride. Right. Or wear a shirt that say, I, I love my gay kid. Like they weren't going to be that, those people. And right. I was terrified to yet again, lose my parents. Right right? Like I physically lost my parents and uh, I was terrified to think that I was going to lose these people who I really did call my parents. Like I viewed them as parental figures. I loved them so deeply. And I told them and I came out to them and they were, I mean, they weren't jumping up and down for joy, Mm -hmm. but they weren't like, you're disgusting, get out. Okay. Um, It was just kind of like, like a tolerating, they tolerated it. Okay. Um, and then they became more and more distant and, um, like things just kind of like, I felt, I felt uncomfortable Yeah. because I, I didn't want to feel tolerated. Right. I mean, just how are you, you know, how we, 
Yeah. You, I want to check in with you real fast because I did. Oh. I heard your voice crack a little bit. In there. It did. So, yeah. Um, why don't we take a little break and let's check in and, you know, okay. Okay. We're back. We're back. And, you know, that little PSA that you gave when I shared my story. It's important. Yes. You know, to yeah. sorry. I mean, Cara, you're sharing some real. I know. And it always gets stuff, me emotional. So. And I was telling Becca during our break, I always, always get emotional during this conversation because I loved my, like, I still love them, even though I don't really have a relationship with them much anymore, but I love them so much because they literally like took me out of the like abyss and like gave me life again. Um, And that just like, that meant so much to me as a kid and like looking Mm -hmm. back on it, like it's really, I think that is what shaped me to be part of who, like who I am today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just have so many positive, I have zero negative memories from being there. And I just, I love them so much and I miss them because I think over, like once I came out, we just became distant. And to this day, like, I'm not really sure if the distance is because of the fact that I'm gay. I don't know. Or is it because I, like, I pushed back a little bit. Um, but whatever it is, like they didn't do anything bad to like, they didn't say like, see you later. But then again, like, I think about this, this memory that I have that Bethany, my wife always brings up, like we went out to dinner, like shortly after I came out Mm -hmm. and I thought it was really going well. And I was really happy about it. I was excited. And then when we went out to say goodbye to each other, like in the car, Mm -hmm she, my aunt was like, I have some of your things. And I was like, okay, cool. And she gave me like old pictures of myself, like my senior picture, like Mm -hmm. big ass pictures, like in a beautiful frame Mm -hmm. and like pictures of me that were once around the house and a lot of my belongings and like a lot of my collectibles. Like I collected like these beautiful porcelain dolls and she gave them all to me. And I was thinking to myself, like, am I being broken up with right now? Yeah. That's what that seems like. Like that's how it felt. Right. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I internalized that. Okay. And I don't know if that was her position. Right. Um, but to me, I felt abandoned in that moment <sighs> and my whole entire life. That was my, was something that I struggled with, like right. the fear of abandonment and the fear of being left and the fear of losing someone. Right. And in that moment, I felt abandoned because I I literally felt like I was getting like my box of stuff, you know, like after a big breakup. And I was like, oh, and like I hadn't, I didn't talk to them since that day. Wow. Which was like maybe like seven years ago or so. Wow. Yeah. Um, And like since then, like I fell in love with the most incredible human being on this planet. Mm. Um, she drives me crazy some days, but <laughs> she also is the, the most solid rock of a human that I, like I could ever imagine. I'm like a lot. <laughs> I'm like, obviously I'm an emotional person and I'm super all over the place most of the time. Um, and my wife, Bethany is like the complete op. She's emotional, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I found, I found such, such a winner. Um, 
and together we became foster parents. And I, that was something that I always knew I wanted to do because even though I wasn't like a typical foster child, right. Um, I was still, um, raised by like a village, right. right? You're bounced around, like didn't have permanent home, so to speak. Correct. And I always knew that I wanted to be that person for someone else. Mm-hmm. And that I always knew that I wanted to like be a safe home. Cause there's a lot of foster families and you'll hear stories of foster homes, like not being the best places all the time. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to like shatter that stigma. Right. And like be a safe refuge for someone. Yeah. And I just want to like say two things. One, about Bethany. Um, I have this like, cause I think you guys complement each other so perfectly, you know? Um, like, I think you, you add like that emotional connection for her. And, yeah. and I just remember this moment. This is the best. This was one of the first, this was early on when I was coming to NAMI and, um, and I was, I was coming in and you were like, I'm running a little bit late whole thing blah, blah blah and like when you got there you were like oh my god I'm freaking out <laughs> I went to the bank and I had to deal with all this stuff and Bethany wasn't answering the phone and I'm freaking out blah 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 and we get upstairs and Bethany calls you back, calls you back and you're that on speakerphone and she's like honey you and you were like I needed to get you I needed to get you and she's like you called 43 times <laughs> literally the story of my life <laughs> that is so I was like hearing your side of it I'm like oh god no she's not calling you back she's not calling or she's not answering the phone she's not answering the phone and then she's like right honey you know yes and that is my life like, like Bethany is my she is like my calming voice yeah. and like she I explain this to people you know how people say like oh my gosh like you complete me mm-hmm. right like I always say like I'm fully complete alone mm-hmm. Bethany compliments me yes yeah right? like we compliment each other and we like she brings me down but at the same time like lifts me up at the same time mm-hmm. so she she's incredible so obviously I married her obviously I married her and we got married and I told her about my love and my desire about wanting to be a foster parent Mm -hmm. and she shared the same dream yeah um and I was like oh my god I love this girl so much yeah so I um we've fostered we became foster parents like immediately after we got married yes literally immediately (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've been along on this journey because this was like I've I remember the day you know you guys got certified and all that yeah I feel like I've been on this journey with you guys and it's yes so beautiful so it's been wild it's been wild and you know what like we ask this question all the time and I'm sure it's something that I would not have been able to do years ago but Mm -hmm. my issue with abandonment and attachment as Mm -hmm. a foster mom like what how does that feel um and I think what's different about this is that I'm prepared for the abandonment if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like I I know that the children that are coming into my home um we might not be their forever home yeah. I still absolutely get attached from the second I see their cute little face, I'm attached to them. Yeah. But that fear of them leaving is a lot 
easier for me to comprehend because I almost expected, I didn't expect my mother and my father to die. No, I didn't, I didn't expect the people that I thought were safe house and a safe home to turn their back on me and make me fear living there. I didn't expect my aunt and uncle who raised me for years and years to distance themselves from me. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. expect those things. Right. So being a foster parent is incredible. And they're not, those weren't things that one typically expects. Like, whereas being a foster parent, that's just part of the process. Yeah. It's part of the process. And yeah, I've, I've really have learned so much from all my foster kids. And I have a teenage girl with me now that we're adopting within the next couple of months. Um, yeah. I I mean, I knew it was on the, you know, it's on the near, the near horizon. Uh, Um, and she came to us at a broken, tired, sad, depressed 16 year old girl. And I was like, yo, like I was there. Like Mm -hmm. that is me. I literally saw myself in this girl. I mean, very different stories, very different paths, but like, I remember feeling abandoned. I remember feeling scared. I remember bouncing around the system, not the system, but bouncing around the the world Mm -hmm. to find stability and security. And I remember feeling completely like depleted Mm -hmm. and like seeing her and then like getting a chance to raise, help raise her Mm -hmm. and like help her to find her worth and to help her to understand her strength and resilience. Like it has been truly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is really special. And now she's 18 and Mm -hmm. she's doing amazing things and it's, it's cool. So I feel like my life has made almost like a full circle. Yeah. Um, You know, like I've been through the trauma and the loss and the grief as like a kid, Mm -hmm. but now I'm getting to be a mom Mm -hmm. Um, and like, give my children what, you know, I remember my mom giving me, um, mm-hmm. like a love for the arts and a free yeah. thinking spirit and a feminist mindset and yeah. a, a strength beyond measure, um, and getting to kind of be a safe place for a lot of people. Yeah. So, I've loved watching you on this journey, like first being, like in terms of becoming forever homes, like first bringing home a baby that was five days old, who is now what, almost three? Almost three. Three this summer. Yeah. Yeah. And um, getting to see you raise her into the little, oh my God, adorable, sassy, yet 100% classy. Yes. (laughs) Little girl. (laughs) And then also seeing you take in this teenager because I know what, I mean, you know, now I know even more, but like, where you were when you were her age and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually her, so, I mean, yeah, right. But there is a lot of similarities in terms sure, of absolutely. adoptive parents. Yeah. Yeah. And she has taught me a lot and it's, it's really cool. Like being a mom has really transformed my life and getting to, um, just, I feel like I, I almost get to like start life over Mm-hmm. In a weird way, like the first half of my life, I wouldn't say where it was crap, <laughs> but yeah. like, I still get to see like, oh my gosh, like now I get, I get to, I keep saying at the beginning, like, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. I don't yeah. remember a lot of this. Like now I get to make memories with my own kids. Oh, yeah. And that is, um, is great. I still have bad days. You guys, like I'm still, um, 
and I feel like people who have experienced loss or grief might really relate to this is that yes, like my mom and dad passed away like literally 20 years ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that doesn't make it any less hard. Yeah. Um, like, yes, of course, like I have, um, I have moved forward, mm-hmm. but I don't think I will ever move on. Yes. That makes sense. It does. Um, and like, there are days like when I adopted my kids mm-hmm. that like, I miss my parents something awful mm-hmm. when I when I got you know a really when I got this really great job at NAMI like your initial mm-hmm. instinct is like let me call my mom right right but like I'm like okay all these big things in my life are now happening as an adult so it is making me miss my parents like almost going through like another cycle of grief mm-hmm. but in a much healthier mindset and in like a much more aware mindset like I can identify like okay, like this is grief. Yeah. This is okay. And I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think something that uh, strikes me is that this woman that you've fallen in love with, right? That <laughs> your forever person is somebody who has a huge, a big family that is so close, right? Yes. Yes. So close. And so like in, you know, you've been able to come to be a part of this beautiful absolutely but I also sometimes think like that must also be hard for you because it's it's definitely twofold yeah yeah Um, it is it's hard and beautiful all the same time mostly beautiful because her family is remarkable yeah like truly like remarkable and her Mm -hmm. mother is like an actual angel sent from heaven like I'm (laughs) unsure if she's human (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Um, So I am lucky that I get to like be a part of that. And it has really fulfilled a lot of, you know, things that I once lost. Um, But it is hard still some days. And Mm -hmm. I do find myself being like, oh, she's so lucky. But Mm -hmm. then I get to kind of reframe that and be like, gosh, like she's so lucky. Like I want that for her. Mm -hmm. Like I never want her to go through what I had to go through. Right. Right. You know, so I just, I do a lot of reframing and Mm -hmm. like cognitive restructuring. Yeah, that's awesome. And I also, because I know we are getting close to needing to wrap up, but I also just wanted to ask you, because I think it's so something that I love about you so much is, um, and find so interesting, because I don't really, I can't relate in this way, but I know that you've talked a lot about the church. Yes. And I know that's something huge for you. And I also have this stigma involved with religion not being accepting of LGBT people, you know, on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Um, So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, church has always been a place for me um, that, and like my relationship with my higher power who I identify as God or Jesus Mm -hmm. has been a pillar of strength in my life. Um, And it has been a journey since coming out I'm trying to navigate that and trying to find a safe and affirming um, space of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, but church is also super important to my wife. Um, mm-hmm. She graduated from a Bible college and um, has grown up in the church. And we really, we really love, you know, we love Jesus. <laughs> we, um, we find a lot of power in our faith and it's been really healing for me personally to, to still have a relationship with God and my faith and also be 
proud of who I am as a gay woman. Um, that was a whole nother story, like a whole nother navigating journey that I went down. But I went down that journey, I went down that path and have really come to a place where I feel super validated by God um, and just in a really safe, safe space. Our church is amazing. Um, it's a really safe, diverse, incredibly open, genuine community of people um, that I treasure. Yeah. Um, we never feel less than, we never feel, I was telling you earlier, like I hate spaces where you feel tolerated. Yes. Right. Where you feel like, okay, hi, like I love you, but, or right. you're, ex you're accepted here, but you can't lead right. or you're accepted here, but like, please don't hold hands in church. Right. Or like things like, like, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be affirmed. Okay. Yeah. And I will say too, what I find also super amazing about you is that one, you struggled with mental health. Um, you struggled with coming out and being a lesbian woman and you became a social worker. You became um, the LGBT liaison, right? At DBHIDS, which is the Department of Behavioral Health here in Philadelphia. And, um, and then you became the first openly gay woman to run a NAMI affiliate, right? I, like, or yeah, right? And, and I was the youngest. And the youngest. Yeah, don't forget that. And the yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, so the things that you struggled with, and that's why, I mean, something I love just about NAMI in particular, but like a lot of most people in the mental health field too, but like you struggled so much with these things. And now there's such a huge part of what makes you a strong, independent woman and forced to be reckoned with, you know? <laughs> And I think it's just so admirable. And, um, and I love you. I love you. Yes. There was someone I'll, I'll end with this. And I, there was someone or something that I read somewhere. Right. And it, there was, it was a sign and it said, turn your trauma into triumph. <gasps> oh, I got to read. I read I that. that. And I was like, dang, like, you get to choose, right, every day to choose to turn your trauma into triumph and to rise mm. above that trauma and to not be defined by it, to not be defined by the stuff that happened to you, but to triumph over it. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it for me. Yeah. And like that motivates me every day to like continue to do this work and to continue to like never be silent about my story or to always be true to who I am and to not, you know, feel bogged down by trauma, mm -hmm. but to triumph over it. So that's my little, little quote. Oh, I love that. I think yeah. that's amazing. Good. So I'm going to ask you that question that we ask everybody. Here we go. And I'm going to cry probably. Yeah, I'm, I am. I know you will. Um, <laughs> If you could tell your younger self one thing, what oh. would it be? Gosh, I would like to tell her a lot of things. Um, I mean, that cliche, like that it will get better. But I also want to tell her that like, you got this, sis, mm -hmm. right? Like, 
I'm going to cry. Yeah. I love that. Like every day is not going to be perfect, mm -hmm. but like you will get to see your, your life be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you'll get to have all the things you dreamed about and all the things you wished for. Mm -hmm. And that my mom and dad are proud of me. Mm -hmm. So there's that and there's my emotional self <laughs> yeah yes they are and you know like you are living your authentic self like yeah. no other and that was something you were always scared to be and yeah yep and I just would remind her that she's got it like yeah. nobody else nobody else can get it for you right you know like you gotta you got it and yeah. just to keep on giving her giving her a high five every couple steps of the way <laughs> yeah yeah but that's it and now I'm a mess so thank you for listening <laughs> thank you for listening to me and um, my my story yes thank you for sharing it car I'm so proud of you <laughs> oh, thank you. you um and um would you want to share like anywhere people can find you sure you guys can, are all welcome to follow me and my crazy self <laughs> um I post a lot of pictures of my cute kids and yes. my shenanigans with my wife and my family I'm super easy you can find me on Instagram at um at Carly Hester c-a-r-l-y-h-e-s-t-e-r -E -E that's me um and that's pretty much where I live is on the gram um yeah but you can follow all of our NAMI accounts as well at NAMI Philadelphia. Um, and then we have our podcast, mm -hmm. which is at the Yana podcast. Yeah. Um, and then Beck, what's the ETS one? Oh, at NAMI Philly underscore ETS. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. And what about our Hesness? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> we hardly post on that anymore, but sometimes we still do. My wife and I made a podcast or a podcast. We made an Instagram specifically for our like foster care and adoption journey. Mm -hmm. um, and it's called um, at our Hest Nest. Mm -hmm. And it's like all about our, all of our foster care and adoption stuff. So you can follow us there too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yay. yay. Thank you so much. Um, so we put out new episodes. Well, we try to put out new episodes every Tuesday. We've had a little bit of a hiatus, but yeah, yeah. We're, we're back. So new episodes every Tuesday. Yes. Um, I also wanted to give everyone a little heads up about the support groups that we offer because they are virtual. So you can join from anywhere. Um, but we have a support group that's for young adults, 18 to 25, every Monday at 6 p.m. And then we have a teen support group every Wednesday at 4 p.m. And that's for teens ages 13 to 18. And um, yeah, you can find out more details on our website, which is namiphilly.org. And that's, that's all. And that's it. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. So we will see. Talk to you next time. Happy, happy day. Peace and, Peace and love. love.
If you or someone you know is in crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or you can text NAMI to the crisis text line at 741-741. Or go to NAMI.org for more information. Remember, you are not alone.